I gotta say, y'all, it's really fun to have them up here. It's like I've got like a, it's like I've got surround sound. Folks in the front, folks. It's really nice. It's, they're excited too. We'll see what happens in three months. They're like, oh, we gotta be up there with Adam again. So we're just beginning our stewardship season as we come back. Now, I know the first thing that folks think of when they hear stewardship season is they're like, okay, once again, the pastor's going to get up here and he's going to talk about money. And a lot of studies show that there are two major reasons why folks don't go to church. One of them is judgmental pastors. And the other one is talking too much about money. And so we're going to try to minimize the money talk. Um, thankfully, this isn't the second week that I started at the church. I've told folks, you know, if you remember, my second Sunday here at South Jacksonville Presbyterian Church was to give uh, the stewardship sermon. Not a way to, like, really, you know, gender yourself to the congregation, right? But um, really isn't, in the end, about the financial needs of the church while that's important, and we'll get there towards the end of this time, but instead it's about how all of our lives, our whole selves, relate to God and to each other. Now remember back, if you can, back before we had left here, we did a little series on being an opened-armed church. I know David, when he uh, preached uh, the second week that we were in Preservation Hall, referenced back to it. And if you remember, one of the sermons that we did during that time was about Genesis 1, that we were created to be stewards of this world. So this is not just something that we sort of glance through at one point, but indeed it's about all that we are. And moreover, session has had at its vision, and we talked about this at our last session meeting, is that we want to be, as South Jacksonville Presbyterian Church, the most vital church around. See, it's great. <laughs> that we want to be the most vital church we can be. In the documentation, it says the most vital church in the Presbytery. And I had somebody ask me, well, why stop at the Presbytery? And I said, you know, that's a good point. We don't have to stop at the Presbytery. So we've got vitality on one side, but then on the other side, we've also got this really heavy series of passages in Mark that are primarily about discipleship. So you put these two things together and it makes you wonder, well, how do you make meaning out of that? And so what we're gonna talk about for the next few weeks is talking about going deeper. What is it like to be vital disciples in this world? So if you think about a series, you know, series title for the next few weeks as we do our stewardship season, it is being vital disciples. Now here's the thing. Almost as I talked about last week, this is a really strange passage to try to pick up and get started on. This passage in Mark has done two things, and before we even get started on the text, I think it's important to preface. Too often, passages like this have been used in the church to clobber people when they got divorced. So first thing, and if that's ever happened to you, let me say as the pastor of this church, I am sorry that that has happened. Because that is not what this passage is about. 
The second thing is that this passage has also been used to try to demonstrate how somehow it is wrong if there are, that this is some sort of commentary on same-sex marriages. That's also not what this passage is about. So if you have been dealt harm by this passage in that way, I apologize for that as well. It is so often that when we take these passages and we try to use them for these ends, we end up like the Pharisees. And I promise you, y'all, if you are on the side of the Pharisees, it is a losing proposition nine times out of ten. So I invite you, if you've even considered these passages in this way, don't be like the Pharisees. Let's dig a little deeper and see what Jesus is trying to speak to us in this moment. Now, here's the thing. The Pharisees already knew the answer to the question that they were asking. Is it legal for people to get divorced? The answer is, yes, it is. This has been part of the Jewish law for centuries. And Jesus, as a pretty good rabbi, would know this, would have studied this. This is not some big shock. But where Jesus takes a turn on this is that he reminds folks that there are connections that we have with each other that go deeper than the contractual obligations that we place before one another. This is something that I have found with many of my close friends, and most of my close friends that I have. Um, I am more often than not the only one who has not gone through divorce personally. I have multiple family members, multiple friends, who have had to go through this. And when I talk to all of them and when I've talked to members of churches I've served, there's almost one thing that rings true about divorce, is that even if it was the right thing to do, even if there was something that was completely certain that this was absolutely the right thing, as most of the time, when you get to that point, you recognize it is the right decision, it's not as though that the person you were previously married to doesn't somehow come with you. It's not as though when the divorce papers are finalized, all the papers are written, it's not somehow some eternal sunshine of the spotless mind moment where everything disappears from your mind. No, there are still parts of the person that we may have been with that go with us. We become somebody new, and even if we get remarried, we are changed because of the relationship that we had before. Marriage and divorce are greater than the paper and greater than the pomp and the circumstance that go around it. As much as I love, you know, weddings, as much as I love all those get-togethers, one of the things that I've tried to do is to say, you know what, it's not the premarital counseling that matters the most. Because listen, y'all are excited to get going and you're all excited to be married. It's not the premarital counseling, it is the three months afterwards, now that y'all are figuring out how to live together, that's the part that's interesting. That's the part that gets more complicated. But this is not the only way that our relationships are deeper than on paper. So many of our relationships in our world are framed contractually the more you start to think about it. I mean, yes, we've just talked about how we think about our spouses and our families. But we have contractual obligations, whether they're on paper or not, to members of our church. 
You know, we relate to certain members of our congregation differently than the others. We relate to first-time visitors and visitors that have been here a few weeks different than the ones who have been here for decades. We also have contractual obligations, whether we say it that way or not, to members of our community. I might act a little differently to a member of city council that happens to show up to the same restaurant I'm at then I may, somebody who is sitting out on the corner on a Sunday morning. Now, shame on me for doing that, but still, we have contractual obligations. We understand each other. We know the rules, right? And it's not impossible to leave those there. It's not impossible to go through our whole lives just managing the contractual obligations we have to each other. Oh, you are somebody who is... Um, you know, you are wealthy, you are living in this area, you have these type of relationships, therefore I should treat you this way. You could live your whole life like that. But what are we losing? Might be the more interesting question. Now, one of the things that came to mind, and this was a bigger deal pre-COVID era, was the concept of voluntourism. Now, this idea of voluntourism was the idea that people would basically go on holiday and would vacation to areas to do work in community. And, of course, this can, for better or for worse, include mission trips. And there is a contract here that we go on these trips to meet with poor foreign people and will they'll joyfully accept our help without any reservations and we will ride in on our proud steeds, take a few selfies, and feel good about the work that we had done. Couple blocks on a wall, couple meals fed to somebody, well that, friends, we did our contractual obligation to those who needed our help so, so much. And certainly, we can even be guilty of this locally, right? Sometimes we can bring a whole bunch of people together, churches from all across the city, and we can have one big day where we go out and serve and amen and amen and amen, but ask what happens the next day. Or ask what happens two weeks from then. Well, guys, I mean, it was great to help them, but you know, the Jags are 0-6, and, and I really feel like it's important if I'm there. So, you know, Trevor needs me, guys. I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't help with this homeless thing. I did it two weeks ago. Didn't you see me in the resident? I mean, I'm not saying that happens here. But boy, isn't that the contract? It feels good to do it for one day, and we've checked off the list of the do-gooding, and then we go home. But the question that Jesus proposes to us, that goes far deeper than divorce and far deeper than adultery, because, boy, Jesus is really good at hyperbolic language and getting at the heart of the issue. The question is whether we are more fully connected to those we serve. The questions that we might want to ask ourselves as we go around Jacksonville and care for people is, are these folks beloved children of God like we are? Do they have wants? Do they have needs? Do they have dreams? Do they have desires beyond our largesse on our trip? I'm pretty sure that answer is yes. 
So walking deeper then, whether it's to avoid voluntourism or, or local voluntourism, is to know the people, to celebrate them, to not consider someone as only an obligation on a document, whether it is, no matter where it is, and it may mean dear friends, and this at times is the consequence that we bear, that those folks may have to go with us as we depart. It may mean that we carry those people in our hearts. We are changed by those people after we come back home. But we have to consider, too, that contractual obligations sometimes work both ways. Sometimes our contractual obligations are eventually to affirm somebody, we view somebody positively, or our contractual obligation is towards distrust or disapproval. And this is something I find in my almost 40 years of being in the church particularly plagues churches. Now, this is something we joke about. We joke about the wars of the dinner plates. We joke about the skirmishes over the silver. We retell the stories about the times that there was a group that was so steadfast about coming to service at 8.30 in the morning that for six weeks they did their own service. Pastor be damned. That actually happened to a friend of mine in the last six months. So that's not even a story I'm making up. We joke about the people and their concerns about dinner plates because there are wars drawn because of kitchen supplies in the church of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. You know, somebody did something 10 years ago and we are not happy about it still. I mean, listen, you might not even remember what it was, but you are certain that they did something and you know what? They've not changed. And while the people of God can sometimes be the most loving folks in our community, well, they also at times can have the proclivity to become some of the most petty. As if somehow we have the right to be that petty in the face of a savior that welcomes the children, but I digress. I think a question before us as a congregation then is, are we willing to go deeper both on the positive and are we willing to go deeper to deal with the negative? Is there somebody in this congregation that comes to mind right now that if given the option, you would not talk to them? You don't have to raise your hands. Is there somebody in the last couple months that has made you so angry that you do not want to worship with them? I mean, let's be honest, and I've tried to be very honest to this loving congregation, is that the last couple years, that's one thing I've gotten feedback from. Is there are some folks that are still sitting on the sidelines, and maybe they're watching right now online, that the reason why they haven't shown up here is because they were really hurt. And I understand that. But the question is, 
as we are going forward from this moment. And we've got bricks over here, and we've got lots of things going on, is do you really want to carry forward with us some argument you had about a spoon in a sink 10 years ago? I'm really hoping that answer is no. Really hoping. And here's the thing, even if that answer is I'm not sure, you know what I'm happy to do? I'm happy to sit down with you and the other person, and I am happy to talk about church spoons. Because I know sometimes church spoons are deeper than church spoons. Sometimes church spoons are, I didn't like the way I was treated. I don't feel like I was loved. I was misdirected about what I thought I could do. You know, the deeper things. And we can work on that together. That's part of my job is to help us work through this. But the question ought to be before us today, dear friends, is this what we want to carry with us? as we leave behind some of the past and we move forward to a bright future. And while I don't think that these things are necessarily accurate as a understanding that these two parts of the text here and Mark go together, they do pose an interesting question to me. As we spend time trying to stick to our scripts and our contracts, trying to obligate ourselves to things that should have gone away years ago, the question may be, are we not inviting the most vulnerable into our midst? who need to feel Christ's embrace the most. Are there folks right now who keep looking at this church, because there's a lot of eyes on this church, let me tell you, and say, I feel like this is the place I've always wanted to be. I'm hearing things about what they say they are, and this feels like a home to me. If we find ourselves caught up about kitchen spoons in the sink might be hard to have those people want to stick around and I for one would like all of those who are vulnerable in this community feel like little children that come and are embraced by the same Jesus Christ that we we proclaim week in and week out and I honestly cannot think of a better Sunday to talk about this together than on a world communion Sunday You know, World Communion Sunday is this kind of unique thing that happens that a bunch of churches get together and they say, we guarantee that no matter what, on this Sunday, we are going to break bread together. So there are people all across the world in their time zones that are going to do the same thing that we're doing today. Some of those folks might be the folks that we would go volunteer with. But they are here at the same table hearing the same words spoken to them. That this is a shared table of Jesus Christ in which there is no contract except of a promise of deep belovedness to the point, yes, of death, but maybe more importantly to the point of resurrection. So friends, as we think about what does it mean to go deeper as a church? What does a stewardship season mean? Perhaps the first thing that we could think about is rethinking those contracts. Rethinking those contracts amidst a font, amidst a broken well that is yet to be rebuilt, and amidst a table of grace. I wonder 
we might really see Jesus in our midst. Thanks be to God.